I love this time of the year, not because I have a, I have a dog in the race, but because God so loved the world. You don't love missions because you love people. You love missions because you love God. And he loves missions. Somebody had to tell you about Jesus. Someone came to your house. Someone came to your door. Someone got the gospel to you or your mom or your dad or your grandpa and your grandma. Every work today is an example of a mission work yesterday. At one time, Hammond had more people in the bars than it had in the church. It was a railroad town, and if I'm not mistaken, two men came up from the Coffee Creek Baptist Church trying to start a church here and came back and said, that is a terrible town. Those people are rough. One man got a burden to be a missionary, and a church got a burden to send him to Hammond, Indiana. If I'm not mistaken, he came in August, started doing Bible studies. In November... He got a hold of the owner of the Morton, the Morton House Hotel. He said, can I rent that attic conference room you got? And the people he began talking to, they met in that conference room. He stayed there from November to April. In April, he asked a man who, was a, who said he had the call of God upon his life, Pastor Hewitt. He said, would you please take these people? I need to go back down to Coffee Creek, but I think I've got a solid core of people that would be a good place to start a church. And Pastor Hewitt came, and then they moved to the Opera House. Then the first mayor of Hammond either got saved or started attending the church, and he said, we got some property across here on Sibley Avenue. You guys want to put the first building up here? We'll give the property if we can, the church can get together and build a building. This church, and the reason we're looking at each other this morning is because someone had a burden somewhere. A church down in southern Indiana who doesn't probably even know, can't find him, and everybody in that church has already been with God for probably 100 years. But they, they got together and they supported a man to come to this town to start this church. Thousands of people are getting saved. Thousands are hearing the gospel this very moment and through this next 24 hours because of what happened in the church. Bus kids that got saved, like Victoria Robles, is preaching today in Guadalajara, Mexico. Young men who came from all over the planet uh, came here to learn how to win people to Christ, and they're doing the same thing somewhere else in the world because of a missions endeavor yesterday. You know, it takes three things, four things I hear to get the world the gospel in this day. Number one, it takes men and women. They're going to have to be courageous men and women. They're going to have to be people who have courage and people that are not centered upon themselves whether they be in the pew or be called to go. It's going to take materials, songbooks, and jeepneys, and pews, and buildings, and roofs. It'll take stuff to reach people with the gospel. It's going to take media, take Facebook Live, or video cameras, or it's going to take numbers of things that uh, need to be, need to be uh, used in that way, internet, and websites, then all of it takes money. Not a one of us got saved without a dollar bill. Every one of us. You say, well, I got a track. Well, that didn't get from a free printer. Someone had to pay that printer. Someone had to raise that funds. And I rode to church on the bus. That fuel, you didn't put the fuel in the bus. 
Somebody sitting in a pew somewhere thought that would be the case. Every missionary that tells the gospel needs someone to support them. In the month of March here at First Baptist Church of Hammond, I want us to really consider why God put us on the planet. What are we supposed to do? Are we just here just to live, to die, watch the world go by and go into 21, 22, 2023? Are we supposed to focus on Fox News or or uh, some other thing, or whatever, what all the political situations spend our time studying the conspiracies and challenges. Is supposed to be focused on a pandemic? Is he focused on how much I can get and how, how good my, my uh, 401k is going? Is that what we're supposed to do as children of God? God put us on the planet, and what we do, I think in March, is really just together we have a local church business meeting determine what we're going to do to get the people who don't know about Jesus. The fellow over in Afghanistan says, tell me where he lives. I'd like to go see him. One of our missionaries to China was on a, in a taxi cab. He said, have you heard of Jesus? He said, is he a movie star? Does he have good albums? Who is he? Is he from America? No, Jesus Christ. Yeah, who is he? How shall they call upon him of whom they have not heard? How shall they believe on him who they not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they be sent? See, all of us have a choice. We can go, we can sow, or we can say no. When it comes to missions, endeavors, many of us were not engaged. We spend more money on dog food, cat food, veterinarian bills, eating out, than we do on world evangelism. I don't think it's wrong for any of those things. We'll spend mon more money going to see Mickey Mouse or doing other things and, and just feel like we're killing the big one because we give $10 a week to world evangelism when we could do a lot more. We could pray more earnestly. We could focus on what God's trying to do. We would not have to worry and fight and fume. God gave us this commandment. And uh, I want to, as Jesus went back to heaven, five times it's recorded what he told his people to do. He said, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. When you go, I'll give you protection. In Matthew, he says, I want you to go and teach all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and I'll be with you. I'll give you my presence. I'll give you my protection. In John, he says, peace I give to you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. In Acts, he says, and ye shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost has come. God wants us to be global Christians. He wants us to see beyond just Hammond and Dyer and, and Hebron and Chicago. You know, could you imagine if God let you know what happened just on one Saturday night in Hammond, Indiana? If God gave you the mentality and the vision to see through every roof and every nook and cranny, every bar, every little kid's screen... Every drunken stupor that took place, every drug addict corner. Could you imagine if the Lord let you know what happened in an eight-hour period from, let's say, 10 o'clock on a Saturday night till, till whenever the, the next morning? 
Could you imagine if we just knew what happened in one town? God knows what happens in every town. We'd go crazy knowing one Saturday night horrible atrocities that are done. God knows what happens in Phnom Penh and Bangkok, Thailand and Johannesburg, South Africa. He knows what's happened in Sao Paulo, Brazil. He knows what's happened in Tokyo, Japan. He knows what's happened in Mexico City. He knows what's happened in Lagos, Nigeria. He knows what's happening in Nairobi, Kenya. He knows what's happened in Papua New Guinea. He knows what's happened in Yemen, in Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates. He knows what's happening in Frankfurt and in London. He knows what's happened in Estonia, Uzbekistan, and Turkmenistan. He knows what's happened in Russia, in Moscow, every day. And the only thing that can stop sinful aggression is the gospel of Jesus. We forget about it. We get caught up in what am I going to have, and where am I going to live, and how much money do I need at the expense of what God is trying to accomplish. We don't want to be uncomfortable. There's a calling. God's calling men. He's calling women right now. Some of you, he's been working on you. And some of you, it's going to be a wife trying to figure out, what is my role? Am I here to be comfortable? Am I here to help accomplish what God wants for my husband? Some of it's a wife. She's ready to go, and the husband's not sure he wants to do it. Some of us, we're just more concerned about our comfort zone than we are about eternal responsibilities. When I think about missions on Sunday morning, I'm going to be talking to you a little bit about 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's the story of David and Goliath. We all know it. Even people who are atheists reference it sometimes on athletic events. This is a David and Goliath event. People who don't even know, they wouldn't know Goliath and David. They don't know where it's found in the Bible, but they've heard about it. It's a wonderful story, and the more I've read it and studied it and listened to it and delved into it, the more exciting. I can't wait. I can't wait to, I don't go to movies. I don't want to see things I shouldn't see and hear things I shouldn't hear, but I'm looking forward to going to heaven cinema. I hope there's a big movie house in heaven. I can't wait to, it's the Red Sea parting. I'm going to watch that. Feeding of the 5,000. Oh, that's going to be good. I'm looking forward to the lady, you know, a guy's chopping wood and his axe head is in the river. And, oh, it's borrowed. I need help, you know. And, okay, well, let's go out there and it just floats to the top. That's going to be a fun one. I can see the guy falling out of the, out of the window on his head and taken up dead. And preacher preached too long. <laughs> Fell asleep in the middle of it. Had a guy tell me, man, I'm having a real problem with insomnia. I said, come to church Sunday morning. Hundreds of people successfully fall asleep right under my preaching. I'm really good at it. I put people out real quick. Just come to church. Get more sleep. Nonetheless, I'm looking forward to David and Goliath. In the trips to Israel, often has to take you to the Valley of Elah. And the mountains or the hills on each side. And you can see where they are lined up there. But the time of Israel, it wasn't a good time. There had been a failure in leadership. There had been a failure in love. There had been a failure in purpose. Saul is the first king, and he had 40 years in which he could be the king of Israel, the first king. 
He was strong, he was tall, he was head and shoulders above any other man in the kingdom. He was very handsome, he was a perfect pick for a king from an outward standpoint. And he was humble at one time. Because God wanted global conquest. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And one of God's goal was to make sure the whole earth knows about him. And that's still his goal. His first plan was to use the nation of Israel, his chosen people, his elect. Those that he had chosen to work with, he started with Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and, and then his son Jacob and Joseph and then the 12 tribes that, uh, that Joseph was uh, his siblings. And from there, all the world will know. Matter of fact, he thought so much about that. Whenever they came out of Egypt, Moses reminded him, Lord, when they, when they got him so angry, he said, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm ready to take him out and I'll just start all over again. Moses said, no, don't do that, Lord. Remember what our goal is that all the earth may know. You can't do this, Lord. All the, the enemies of God will make fun of you and make fun of your people. He had given the job of his people to believe in the true God and propagate that around the world. But they failed. And Jesus, the Messiah, came into his own and his own. But as many as we receive him, now you and I are in the church age and the Gentile group have an opportunity to come in and be grafted in, as Romans says. Now we, have, we are in. We're in the family of God. And now God has given that responsibility that all the earth may know to a local church. To you and to me. Not this building, not a denomination. To brothers and sisters in Christ. Every one of us have a responsibility and no response is still a response. I don't know who gives to missions. I don't know who gives to the church. I don't know who, what God is doing inside of you. I only can live in one body and have one mind. And I only know my own motives. And sometimes those are suspect. But you and I have a responsibility. God has given every Christian... And every church, a responsibility, said, now listen, if you'll do this, I'll give you my presence, I'll give you my protection, I will give you my peace, I'll give you my power, I'll show you my plan, everything you do. By the way, this is one of the reasons Pastor Wilkerson pushes this. Not because I'm trying to get more money out of anyone or trying to upset your little apple cart. I really want God to give you His presence, His power, His protection, His peace. I want you in just a few days when we step out of the throne of God and each of us give an account of himself to God that we'll be glad we did and not wish we would have. I would hope you'd say, man alive, I'm so glad, Pastor. Whew. It was better in there than I thought it was going to be. I got people all over heaven are saying, hey, I just look in the books of heaven. You're one of the reasons I'm in heaven. You sent Brother Ted Spear and Brother Sarver and you supported Kevin Wynn and his boys, Joe and John and Tim. They're doing things. I, I didn't know that you were the ones. I realized you, you could have done other things. You could have had a house payment or another house payment. You could have had a, bought a bigger house. You could have had better cars. You could have done all this. But you really sacrificed. It's on the books of heaven. One thing we know that the books will be open. You don't know my business, and I don't know yours, and we probably don't need to go there. But when the books of heaven are open, there ain't no secrets, friend. 
When you die, you're signing off on an autobiography without any edits. Unedited. Everything will be known even as also we're known. I can fool you, you can fool me. We're not fooling God. The eyes of Him, which, which we have to do. He said all things are naked and open to Him. He doesn't mind. He watched people give their offering. I didn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Jesus brought his disciples up there and just watched people give their offering. Oh, yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Whoa. Watched a little lady bring in a little bit and put it in, put it in the offering plate. So she gave more than the all. They, they gave. They just tipped the Lord. She gave out, out, out all she had. And he's interested in that. And it's his business. The earth is the Lord, the fullness of the world, and even you. If we're Christians, we're not our own. We're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. But at the time, there's a real problem in Israel. Saul has gone bonkers. Saul has become so presumptuous. I mean, he wasn't terrible. He started out humble, but he just got used to being the king of Israel. He got used to doing things on his terms. He got used to just like, just appeasing God, not, not necessarily pleasing him. God told him, I want you to do this, and he didn't do it all, but he pretended like he was all that in a bag of chips, and he didn't do it. He just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and become apathetic in his own heart. He forgot the day that he was chasing donkeys and God made him a king and how humble he was, and he got used to being uh, in the work of God and doing, overseeing a kingdom for God, and he was becoming apathetic. And he, because of his sin is presumptuous, God, in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, you read the chapter before, he said, he came to Samuel and said, Samuel, quit arguing with me. Saul's got to go. I'm sick of dealing with him. I've talked to him. I've talked to him. I tell him what to do. He doesn't do it. He's apathetic. He's callous. He doesn't want me in his life. He's the king. He should be attendant of God's law, but he doesn't want it. Samuel, stop arguing. Because Samuel loved Saul. He was his king, the only king he ever knew. He was there when he was anointed, and he was there in the, all the process. And now, he, now he, God says, he's done. He's crossed my line. i got to get someone else that thinks like me, that feels like me, that wants what I want. He doesn't. I'm going to find a guy after my own heart. And after the argument, he said, he said, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. He has eight boys. Seven of them are named in Scripture. One of them may have passed away or his name is not in the Bible. But he's, got, he's got boys, and one of those boys is going to be the next king. He said, he said, Lord, if I go over there and Saul finds that I'm there, I'm dead meat. He said, I want you to take an oxen with you. Take a, take a heifer with you. Take a, a, a cow and if he asks you why you're going, sacrifice while you're there. By the way, it's kind of why some people go to some other countries of the world and they can't go there as missionaries and they go as a little bit undercover. They got a business or they've got something there. I think it's not a necessarily imperative, but it's a good idea. He said, just the government might get excited about it, but just go take a heifer, go sacrifice and use that as an excuse to get over there and talk to them. He went to see Jesse, and Jesse says, well, could you get your boys here? And Jesse didn't even bring David. Eliab was the oldest guy, and as soon as Samuel saw him, he said, no, that's the guy. It's got to be him. Look at that kid. That's going to be a good, that's going to be a good guy. And the Lord says, no, I don't want him. He's not the guy. 
Okay, how about Abinadab? Oh, this guy, I can see. Yeah, he probably had a bad attitude or something, and he did. Abinadab, no. Shammah, no. And he went down through it, and every time he goes there, he said, God, no, 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 no. He said, Mr. Jesse, you got anybody else? I'm getting no on all of these, either six or seven of them. God's saying, no, do you have another? He goes, well, I do have. I had the baby boy, the youngest, but he's out watching sheep. I'm sure we didn't want him. He goes, nobody's sitting down until he gets here. I'll stand up and wait till he gets here. Go get him. He sent servants out. They went and got him. He was following sheep. He was following, expecting ewes, being great with young. He was a servant. He was a shepherd. He was skillful. He was sincere. He had integrity of heart. Something special about this guy, but he wasn't even a, he was an afterthought. But when he came over the hill and stood before Samuel, God says, that's my man. That's him. Okay. He takes oil. He pours it over his head. In the presence of his brethren, he anoints him king. It'll be the first of three times that he is or maybe four times that he's anointed king. And he becomes the king. So now what do kings do? Go back and watch sheep. All right. And he goes back. Time goes on, and now they have a battle going on in Israel. Israel is now, they've got Saul, who God says in chapter 16 that he took his spirit off of him. He didn't want to listen to God, so God stopped being with him. Kind of like a guy who would keep asking the same girl to date and she doesn't want to. He keeps saying, no, no, no. He finally says, you know, I'm just not going to bother anymore. Probably God the same way with Saul. He said, I think I'm just going to leave him by himself. He, wanted, he doesn't want me. I'll just let, give him his way. And then God allowed him to have a bitter spirit because he got real lonely with his own spirit. And a bitter spirit came upon Saul. And Saul was, he was struggling. He was miserable. One of the guys said, man, he's such a bad way. He's so depressed and oppressed, and he's got his shoes. Let's get some music. Music will help him. And they found, they said, now there's a kid now. There's a kid that uh, Jesse's got. Let's see what, what God described. Here's what someone else said about David. Look, if you would please, at chapter 16. I can tell that I've done a lousy job on my time this morning. Let's look at chapter 16, verse number 18. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that he is cunning in playing. He means very skillful in his music. Plays a, like a harp or a lute or a guitar. And he's a mighty valiant man. He's very brave. He's a man of war. He's fought some battles. He's prudent in matters. He thinks through things. He evaluates what's going on. He's a comely person. He's fairly attractive. And the Lord is, what does the Bible say? The Lord's with him. You know the story, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into the message. I'll continue it this evening. But it's interesting to me that, that uh, they pull David off here. David goes into the palace. He plays for Saul. Saul's heart is calmed. And then he goes back and watches sheep again. 
And now there's a threat coming. It's a threat in the Philistines and Goliath. He is nine foot, six inches, about the size of a basketball goal. Ten feet, a little shorter than that. He's huge. He's fully armed and he's foul-mouthed and he's wicked. And he's confident. He's a man of war from the time he was a little kid. He could see that he's got something about him. Strong, and he comes out, and for 40 days, he begins to taunt, blaspheme the God of the Israelites and Israelites themselves. They're embarrassed, they're terrified, they're shamed, they're fearful, and they just let him come and do it, and he's taunting them. David comes. He comes not to, not to come to the battle. He comes to deliver some stuff from his dad. His dad said, you know, I've got three of the boys out there, and not all the soldiers in our United States Army, when you sign up, they feed you. But sometimes the people in those days were dependent upon their families helping them. He sent them two loaves of bread and ten, several gallons of, of wheat, and he sent them some cheese balls for, for their captains. And, and he, he said, go, go check and see how things are going. What's going out there? And see if they need any more money, or did they have to borrow something and take a pledge of them? And go see them. He goes. When he goes, he hears the same thing these guys have heard for 40 days. He sees the same clown coming out and standing on the side of the hill of Elah and yelling and screaming and cursing. And it bothers him. But Saul is empty of himself. He's been so callous. He's got an evil spirit on him. He has no confidence because God's no longer with him. God has withdrawn his presence from him. He doesn't have a love for God. He has no purpose. He forgot that he was supposed to tell the whole world and be a good testimony for the world. Instead, he got all consumed with his own thoughts and his own finances and his own kingdom. So he's scared to death, too. He's the guy, probably the tallest guy. He's the, the, the warrior. He probably should have been out there or, or figured out a plan. He's scared to death. David comes, and he sees what happened, and he says, Hey, what's going on? Can we not take this guy? We can't put up with this. We have a God in heaven. He has spent lots of time with God on the shepherd fields. He has sang songs like, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Under thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul, my God, I... Trust in thee. He had sung those songs. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty God. I will say the Lord, he is my refuge and strength. He had had already that faith in him. He sees that and he says, man, what, what can be done? He says, well, man, if you can knock him off, the king will, uh, he'll enrich you. <laughs> he'll give you his daughter. You can marry his daughter, Michael, and she's a looker. I married my wife for looks, not the looks she's been giving me lately, but she's <laughs> He says, she's a looker. He said, that girl is so, she's pretty, and you can be her husband. And then you'll be the son-in-law of the king. And boy, it'd be great. And then you, your dad didn't have to pay taxes. You can knock him off. You don't have to pay taxes. How many would like to try that sometime, huh? So he wants to pay taxes. So that's what's going to be done. He goes, man, that's pretty good. And then his brother Eliab, who had been passed over and watched him get anointed as a king from Samuel and He's like, look, I know what you are. What, where's, who's taking care of the little sheep you're watching? Come on. Go back home. I know, you, I know how you think, David. You're just over here. You just came just to see what's going on. You want to get your head and thing. And You've been playing too many video games. Who's watching the daddy's sheep and, and made fun of him in front of the other guys? 
And that's when he said these famous words. What have I now done? Verse 27. Is there not a cause? I think in the month of March, every one of us ought to ask ourselves, isn't there a reason that we ought to do something? And you know what the cause was? You can find it in verse 46. Whenever he was getting ready to take down, and he has his stone in his slingshot, and he's getting ready to take down Goliath, and Goliath is saying, yeah, get over here, you little, well, you, can, you think I'm a doll? You come at me with little sticks? You got to bring a little strapling here? He said, I'll feed him to the door. Get over here. He looks like he's sitting on the side of the hill. He stands up, goes toward him. And David said, no, that's what's going to happen to you, big boy. That's in the Hebrew. <laughs> he said that all the earth may, that there's a God in Israel. This is not about me, and it's not about you, Goliath. It's not about Israelites, and it's not about the Philistines. It's not about the pressures or the criticism. It's not my big brother. It's not, what, it's not a bowl of cheese. It's about God. And global getting the gospel. So everybody will know the real God is the God of the Israelite people. That's what it's about. That all the earth may know. I want to just challenge us. As we think about this year and this month of March, I'd like to ask you, why don't you just ask yourself, what's the cause? What's God trying to do to get his word out to the ends of the earth?